0: Hey, Simon Gill here from The Street. Uh, Welcome. I'm so grateful that you found this video as we talk about some of the issues we're grappling with as a wider society. And it's really important you know that this message sits as part of a wider series we're calling Origins, where for the first three weeks we sort of established some biblical foundations that then allowed us to have a three week conversation around some of these border issues. If you haven't yet found those first three weeks, I'd really encourage you to go and watch those first before you watch uh, this video. Uh, Please know we hope that this video is a blessing to you and we are praying for you. Be fruitful and multiply. That was God's command to the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, after he had made them. And we're getting pretty good at it. Sometime in the next couple of weeks, mid-November 2022, the world's population is forecast to pass 8 billion people. This is a picture of the earth from space. You can see all the night lights spread across the globe. You can see that we have filled the earth. That's what God commanded us to do after saying, be fruitful and multiply. This is a close-up of the Persian Gulf. Look at the lights littered around the water. This is Europe. You can see the the big cities of London and Paris and Rome. This is India, the great subcontinent, a billion and more people. We've filled the earth, I think. Right now, the global population is growing at about 140 people per minute. But you know, God wasn't finished. After he said, fill the earth, he said, rule over it, subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, what does that mean? So today we're going to have a a talk about how God intends us to relate to creation. And Jenny mentioned climate care, but I'm going to be a little bit cheeky and go beyond the brief. We're actually going to talk about Everything. We're going to talk about how we relate to the natural world because in filling it, we have touched every part of it. A couple of weeks ago, Jerem talked about the fall and it was this devastating event for us spiritually but also physically. So when Adam and Eve rejected God, when they broke the covenant relationship with him, our relationship was fractured. And God said, cursed is the ground because of you. The whole planet was compromised. That's how close our relationship with the planet is and was. And so the world became hostile. It became subject to death and disease and predatory behaviour and all those cruel behaviours we see on those nature documentaries that my wife hates to watch because she can't stand watching that penguin knowing that there's a polar bear around the corner. You know, she she just can't stand it. So we don't get to watch that, but... We live in this incredible world where we see this mix of wondrous, wondrous beauty, and yet we see this compromise as well. And things have certainly gotten worse since the fall as a result of our behaviour. Here in New Zealand, many of our lakes and rivers are not safe to swim in. And near our, our towns and our cities, the beaches are often aren't safe either because our, our wastewater systems don't cope. It's just not safe. Our wildlife is under threat from introduced pests and our consumer habits have massive flow-on effects. At a global level, it's been estimated that by weight, there will be more plastic than fish in the sea by 2050. The effect of human activity is often clear. In the Indian city of Punjab, when COVID forced the city into lockdown, you might have seen some of the pictures on the internet, people saw the peaks of the Himalayas for the first time in 30 years because the air pollution lifted. And in Beijing, eye-watering smog causes lung cancer and heart attacks at an alarming rate. In this amazing world, this beautiful blue world hovering in the cosmos, we've been like a kid in a candy shop. We've made ourselves and the planet sick. Environmental issues are really hard to tackle. They are so heartfelt, they are complex, they're things we feel passionately about and they're divisive for those reasons too. They are local and they are global. Should I, should I buy free range eggs? Should I shrink my carbon footprint if you're thinking about issues like climate change or factory farming? You know, should we plant trees with our land or should we grow food on it? Who's gonna plant those trees? What if that's my livelihood? What if that's my identity? And questions like this make it all the more important for us to understand how we think about our relationship with the environment and, and how we engage with society on these issues as Christians. I mean, imagine being a person in Beijing. This isn't easy. If, if starting my car might give someone lung cancer, is it, am I loving my neighbour when I put the key in the ignition? But what if my car is the only way to get to work? What if that's how I need to travel to feed my family? So today I want to give us a framework to think about this subject of creation care. How do we interact with nature? How do we think about these complex issues? And how do we even think about the solutions in a God-honoring way? So let's dig in and let's give ourselves a bit of a backdrop, and then I'll give us some principles we can apply. So to start with, the Bible establishes creation as just this, this profound part of our identity. As I've, as I've talked about, the Bible starts with this, right? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before we even get a mention, there's creation, there's the planet. And it fills us with awe, doesn't it? My favorite Bible verse is, uh, it's, it's the start of Psalm 19. It's, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. And it just goes on, and it's just wonderful. And I just feel worshipful saying it, because doesn't the natural natural world make us feel like this? And we see God's glory, his signature, painted all over the cosmos and in the finest parts of our being. Nature is where we met with God. It's where Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden, and we, we read that God would come walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Isn't that a wonderful image? And God told them to work the land and to care for it. In the, all of this, we're starting to get a picture of why creation matters to us so much. It's why we're so concerned when we see problems in the natural world. There's something deep in us that doesn't seem Right? You know, I've already touched on the fact that the Bible says we were made to have dominion over the earth, and some translations say rule or reign. But this command was given to us before humanity was compromised, before the fall, before we were morally compromised. And at that point, everything in creation was good, and we were made to be good rulers of it. You know, actually, before things went so badly wrong through the fall, God said before he gave us permission to eat the animals, we were meant to be vegetarians. Can you get a load of that? That was plan A. God made us to exercise a godly rule over the world. And as I said, when we see these destructive environmental trends, it speaks to something really deep within us. But let's go deeper still. We are made in the image of God. That means we are made to be like him, And that means we can learn something about how we are to interact with the natural world by looking at how God relates to it. And so let's look at this verse first of all. In Psalm 24 we read, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. The earth is the Lord's. It's his. It belongs to him. And he has given us dominion or sovereignty, but what this verse tells us is he hasn't given us fundamental ownership. And so the word steward is a good one for us to think about here. A steward is someone who cares for something on behalf of someone else. And in our case, that someone else is God. How does that make us think about our relationship with the natural world? So how does God feel about the creation? Let's have a look at that. Well, when a man named Job, we read about in the Bible, got too big for his boots, God asked him a few questions to help him get his perspective back. And these questions were designed to reveal how much God knew and how much he was in control, but it also reveals something really beautiful about how God feels about creation. God asked Job, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the carving of the does? Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings toward the south? But here is my favorite example. Who has let the wild donkey go free? Who has loosed the bonds of the swift donkey to whom I have given the arid plain for his home and the salt land for his dwelling place? He scorns the tumult of the city. He hears not the shouts of the driver. He ranges the mountains as his pasture. And he searches after every green thing. How cool is that? I love that teasing question. Who has let the wild donkey go free? And of course, God is implying it was me. Do you think God cares about his creation? Do you think he cares about the wild creatures in the wild places? I think he does. I think the call for us to care as Christians is really clear, but actually we often get it wrong. And before we go into our framework to think about these things, I want to give us a a few insights into a couple of theological uh, pitfalls, if you like, a couple of things for us to avoid. The first one is falling into false worship. You see, nature fills us with awe and we can make the mistake of placing ourselves beneath or within it rather than seeing ourselves as above it as God's humble and loving stewards. And in New Zealand, some aspects of Maori culture present a unique challenge for us in this regard. I think we should absolutely honour Maori as tangata whenua, as the people of the land, with a, a unique care and love and custodianship but sometimes Māori karakia or prayers spoken in public ceremonies or in some workplaces speak to parts of nature as if they are gods or invoke a universal energy from the environment. And look, if you're in that situation, can I encourage you simply to be silent and give glory to God and pray for the blessing and the protection of the people around you? I just think that's something we need to look out for. In other cases, The challenge to God's divine order and our place within it is more subtle. Across the world, secular philosophies are are saying we're just another species on the earth. And there is this move to undermine human exceptionalism by thinking about landmarks and parts of the environment and giving them personhood. And so, for example, there is a a move at at present globally to recognize the the ocean's so-called inherent rights to exist, to flourish and regenerate. And false worship in this particular paradigm is a progressive eroding or crushing or removing of God's image from us, a diminishing of us, saying it's not yours uniquely. And when we're in this kind of situation, I think again we need to think about what is God's order? How has he established things? What role has he given to us? You see, the ocean doesn't have rights or responsibilities. It doesn't know the thoughts of God. Did you know you are special? God made you and me the pinnacle of his creation to rule over it and I think he wants to invite us up into that, not to diminish our place in creation. The second mistake we can make theologically as Christians is actually not to care enough. I think that most of us don't object at all to the call to care. We look at the natural world and we go, this is incredible. How could I not care for that? But when the call to care compromises our comfort, sometimes we're a bit more reluctant. When it requires some sort of sacrifice or inconvenience or change to our lifestyle, we're a bit hesitant. And I think that we can theologize our way out of this. We can say, well, God mostly cares about people or he's mostly stirred me to care about society. Or the community, and those are wonderful things. But you know, it's almost as if if we say that, we're saying, God hasn't given me enough love to go around. I don't think that's the God of the Bible. The other way we can theologize our way out of this is by saying, well, you know what? God one day is going to replace the whole planet. In, the, in 2 Peter, we read this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. This is the end of all time. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And so we tell ourselves that, well, if God's going to replace the whole lot, well, maybe I can just trash the place. Or maybe I just, maybe it's not that brash. Maybe it's just more subtle. Look, I don't need to worry about it. Just let it go. But, you know, if I were to take that attitude to my own body, I could say, well, you know what? I'm going to die one day. Maybe I'll just eat junk food all the time. And maybe I won't exercise. Let's just let it go. Well, we don't do that, do we? So I think there's something else for us in that. You know, sometimes that that climate change uh, protests or calls for activism, you see this placard. it's always stood out to me. It's a sign that some people hold up that says there is no planet B. But according to the Bible, there actually is. You know, God is going to establish a new heavens and a new earth. And I think the implication for us, though, is that doesn't mean we don't care. It means we care for a different reason. We don't care out of obligation. We don't care out of fear. We don't care because, man, it's it's, it's all going to be ruined. We care out of love. We care because God cares and has called us to and to be his followers. You know, in a really practical way, we all live on this planet. We all live in these neighbourhoods and the way we treat the environment creates the environment, if I can put it that way, for other people, the neighbourhood that our neighbours live in. And so if we want to love our neighbour, caring for the environment is a really practical way we can do that. I mean, what about the next generation that's coming along? Do we care for them? Do we love them? And do we reflect that love in the way we care for the planet? Because you know what? When we get this right as followers of Jesus, it is absolutely incredible. In 1824, a group of men met in a London coffee shop, and the place had a very ironic name, given the purpose of their meeting. The name of the coffee shop was Old Slaughter's Coffee House. And the reason why that was ironic is because these guys were getting together to form the SPCA, the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. And the meeting was called by a guy named the Reverend Arthur Broom. And uh, one of the more famous participants was William Wilberforce, the famous campaigner for the abolition of slavery. And once they had all got their act together and figured out what they were going to do and they formed the society, 21 out of 22 of the founding members were Christians. And their efforts were focused on working animals in the first instance, like pit ponies. They were these ponies that worked down in the coal mines. And and then they expanded. They started to extend animal protection laws to include domestic animals and bear baiting and cockfighting. And there was also a requirement, ironically, again, given given the coffee house, for better standards for slaughterhouses. And this kind of care was absolutely Radical because at the time it was founded, at the time the SBA was established, the UK wasn't this nation of animal lovers that it is today. Animals were commodities for food and for transport or for sport. And these guys started to change everything. Christian mission, Christian fulfillment of God's call to stewardship, to love the world he's made, changed a culture. Isn't that cool? And you know what I love in the detail of this? What I love about the pit ponies? (laughs) I love that these guys cared about an abuse that was happening that was out of sight and out of mind, underground, in a coal mine, that nobody would have seen. That sounds like God's love to me. And you know what I also love? It reminds me of that question that God put to Job. Who let the wild donkey go free? Wouldn't it be wonderful to stand before God one day to say, I did that. I saw your care or I saw an abuse and I cared enough about your world and your creation to do something about it. That sounds like a pretty awesome call to me. So what are these principles that we can apply? I want to acknowledge that. In many cases, these issues like we started with are complex and are hard to grapple with and there's all sorts of human feeling and identity and emotion wrapped up in them and there's politics wrapped up in them and there's cultural stuff wrapped up in them. So how do we deal with this? Well, firstly, I think we need to engage our minds. We need to engage with the science and the research here and think about this stuff. You know, this is a wonderful biblical tradition uh, King David loved the stars. The heavens declare the glory of God. King Solomon, his son, was a biologist. He was into trees, man. He knew all about them and where creatures nested and all that kind of stuff. He was so into it. And we see this wonderful history of Christian interest in science and leadership, in fact. You know, Galileo and Copernicus and Newton, all these guys, they were devout believers and they knew that God had a purpose Behind creation, Copernicus said, it is my loving duty to seek the truth in all things. The study of the natural world is a glorious pursuit and we should be right into it. We should be thinking about this stuff. Now at the same time, as I touched on, I do think we need to realize that as human beings we are flawed and we need to apply something more than just rational discernment. We need to bring a spiritual discernment and we need to ask where are there other political or cultural dynamics in play as these issues are explored. We also need to recognize that sometimes the scientific establishment just gets things wrong. I mean, for 1,400 years, humanity believed that the sun revolved around the earth when it was completely the other way around. So again, this calls for discernment. But you know what? God has given us that too. So let's start by engaging our minds. The second principle I want to share is that we need to hold our beliefs about the natural world with humility We need to examine our own hearts. We need to to test our beliefs and be open to different ways of thinking. Maybe we are the ones with the log in our eye. Maybe we just don't want to change because we're comfortable or we're convenient, and maybe that is coloring the way we look at uh, environmental issues and the solutions. Maybe we're stuck. Maybe we need to be open enough for God to give us a, a nudge in the right direction. And so we need to hold our beliefs about the natural world with humility as well as engaging our minds, we need to open our hearts. And finally, the third principle is that we need to uphold the manner of people as God's image bearers. When we read at the beginning of, of tonight's message or today's message or this morning's message, wherever you happen to be, we read that God put these goals of human flourishing and care for the natural world together. He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and rule the earth. It was all in one breath. It was all together. He wanted us to hold all the things together. We are smart enough for that, you know. He made us in his image. And so godly stewardship keeps these things together, human flourishing and god given care for the natural world, it may be certainly that we need to make sacrifices. sometimes the way we live simply isn 't sustainable, so why don 't we do that why don 't we make some sacrifices? but wherever we can let 's also look for opportunities to dignify people to acknowledge who there are, who they are, to acknowledge their connection to the land, to acknowledge their care i can 't say the word acknowledged right now. <laughs> Let's look at that wherever we can. Because do you know what? Maybe there is a better way to keep the lights on. Maybe there is a better way to package that product. Maybe there is a better way to get to work. But the big idea here is let's think about people and nature together. But you know what? I just want to close with what we know. Nature is a gift. It was made by God himself. It is wonderful. It is glorious. And we are free to use it for our good. But we're to be stewards of it. We're to look after it because we love God. And we all know that, yes, it will one day be replaced with a new world. Scripture tells us that. A new world that's no longer subject to death or to decay. And by caring for it, we also love our neighbour in a really practical way. Are we still called to love God? Yes, Are we still called to love our neighbor? Yes. So do we have a moral duty to care for the planet? Yes. You know, this is not simply a matter of conscience. This is a scriptural call to step up and be people made in the image of God. The question we need to ask ourselves today is not, should I care? But how will I treat the gift of God?